Hey, well, good morning again. Good morning again. Gotcha. All right. Threw you off there, didn't I? Because I've been up here before already. Listen, we are in this series called What If, just talking about, uh, man, what if you could win with money? Like, what if you could win with money? What if you got home every day and you thought, I won today with money? And money is an emotional topic. Am I right? Like money is an emotional topic. When, when you start talking about money and the things you can do or not do with money, man, it gets a little tense or maybe man, it get, you have this rush of adrenaline that makes you feel good. And so, man, money is an emotional topic. And especially when you go to church and they talk about money, it's like, are they supposed to, I think I'm supposed to be mad they're talking about money at church. Like, because it's an emotional topic. But what we know about money and what we know about how emotional it is, a couple of things. Number one, stress producer in our country is financial stress, financial anxiety, man, worry about the future worry about will I have enough, worry about will I get what I want, not necessarily need. It's the number one stress producer in our country. Number two, cause of divorce. Number two, cause of divorce is money. It's an emotional topic. It, it gives all kind of feelings that churn up in us when we talk about money. And uh, think about this. How many of you knew that uh, the Mega Millions is at $1.6 billion? Everybody? Come on. See, we all know that. How many of you have thought about, you know what I'd do with it if I want that money, right? I know, number one, you give to Stone Creek, right? Um, now, I don't think that's an endorsement to buy a lottery ticket, right? But if you do, um, give it away, right? Give it to us. But, um, man, there's this emotional tie that comes to it. People start running out to buy lottery tickets as if it weren't enough to win the lottery for $300 because uh, that's not enough. I'm going to go for $1.6 billion, right? There's this emotional. We begin to think about what we do with that money, and we begin to think about how we'd live and who we'd help and all that. It's just it's these feelings that churn up inside of us because money is an emotional topic. And it happens in marriages, man. Marriages face this tension and this stress around money. And specifically, I thought about this this week. Debbie and I were out shopping, um, or maybe she was shopping and I was tagging along or something like that. But we were in a particular store and she, she pulls something off the sale rack because my wife believes retail is a four-letter word. Let me just tell you that right now. She pulls something off the sale rack and she brings it. She says, hey, we got this thing going on next week and I think this would be awesome. And I think to myself, self, don't say it. What I'm thinking is, I think you got 16 of those already, but I didn't say that, right? Because I've been through FPU. She has her own envelope. It doesn't matter what she buys with her money. Am I right? But all of a sudden, man, there's this, this feeling I have. You know, you could save that. Do you know what else you could do with that money? Because money is an emotional topic. And Jesus talks about money more than anything because he understood it. And money has this capacity, man, to be a great blessing to us, doesn't it? Man, money has this capacity to be a great blessing. Man, we can buy things with it like food and shelter, or we can buy other things that aren't necessarily in that category. Man, we can buy lunch. We can buy clothes. Man, money is, it's a blessing. And we see in the Bible that people have money and it's a blessing from God. We see that people who were blessed with a lot of means supported Jesus in his earthly ministry. And so we see that it's a blessing. But it also comes with a set of warnings. Because God tells us, like, don't be deceived to thinking it's going to buy your satisfaction. And what can happen if we're not careful and if we're not paying attention is we chase after the things that money can buy thinking it's going to provide some permanent satisfaction. Man, we chase after the new car. We chase after the clothes. We chase after credit card debt. Do you know that in the United States we have over $1 trillion in credit card debt? That's a T, trillion dollars. If you won the mega millions, you have to win it a thousand times to pay off everybody's credit card debt. That's how large it is. Because we chase after stuff as if it's going to satisfy us. And it is a moving target, isn't it? 
Did you ever notice how much stuff? It's just, it's a moving target. Like here's an example of what I'm talking about. You get married maybe, or maybe you get out of college, and the first thing you do is you want to buy a home. And so you save up some money, and you get your down payment to buy a home. And you buy what's called your first home, or it's called a what? Starter home. We all know what it's called. And if you're starting there, does that where you're finishing? No, because you're going to chase after a bigger home. Eventually, you're going to save some more money, and you need some more space, because maybe you had kids and a dog, right? And so you're going to need some more space, so you buy another home that's a little bit bigger. And then while you're in that home, you go to your neighbor's home, and guess what? His TV is 70 inches, and yours is just 48. And his leather sure is a lot softer than yours. And so we began the cycle. We began the treadmill. We began to chase after stuff to satisfy us. And eventually, we save some more money up, and then we do what? We buy maybe another home. And then we stay there for a while, and the kids move out, and the dog does too because he goes with the kids. And what do you do? You downsize back to the same square footage you had to start with. Man, it's a moving target. And if we chase after a moving target for our satisfaction, for our contentment, we're going to end up with whiplash because we'll always be chasing, we'll always be moving, and we'll never have the satisfaction that we've been looking for. We'll never have the contentment that God has created us to live with. Like, what if you could be content? Like, what if you weren't always chasing the new style or chasing the next upgrade just because you thought it was going to provide something for you? Now, there's nothing wrong with new style. There is nothing wrong with upgrading. There's nothing wrong with spending money. But what can happen is we believe it's going to deliver satisfaction that it's incapable of delivering. Like, what if? Man, what if you could live just this contented life? What if instead of stuff bring, buying stuff to think it's going to fill a void, what if we were in charge of our stuff and said, like, what if we didn't have this level of disappointment when we didn't get something? What if we didn't have this level of anxiety when it comes to money? So we want to unpack this idea of contentment or satisfaction today. Man, how we can all live with this, this sense of satisfaction that will give us confidence in every area of our lives. So let's grab our Bible. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in Philippians chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start out in verse 10. I want to give just a little bit of a, uh, just a little bit of a um, uh, background on this particular passage and who's writing it. You know, we thought about changing the, t- the title of the series from how to win with money to how to win the money. And we just have a prayer service that somebody in here would win the money. Um, but this may be a better route to take, right? Philippians chapter four, you can grab your app and also uh, a paperback from the back. Now, a guy who wrote this is a guy named Paul. Paul wrote this, and he, he wrote this as a letter to a group of people in Philippi, hence Philippians. So he wrote this to a group of people who, it was a church that he had started. And so Paul, in this, at this time, he is in prison. And he's in a Roman prison. He's, he is locked up abroad. And the Roman system, man, they didn't have a human rights commission that was be sure that everybody was treated humanely, that they had enough food, that they had places to sleep, that they had indoor plumbing. It was a very rigorous, rough place to grow up, a place to live, a place to be. You were in chains all the time. You slept on the floor, and everything else was like camping, but it was all indoors. And so Paul is in this context very, very difficult, and he writes these words to the church in verse 10. says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what he's saying is, I'm glad that you were 
concern for me. I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you wanted to do something for me. But they didn't know where he was. They didn't know what he needed. They didn't know what they could provide for him. So they didn't do anything. Even though they wanted to help him, they didn't help him. But now they've been able to help him. And so they're stepping into being generous, sending him the things that he would need, like clothes, like food, like his books, like whatever else he may need just for the basic necessities of life. And so he says, hey, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Like, just so you know, I don't really need what you're going to I'm grateful for it. Man, I, I appreciate that you love me. I'm thankful that you went to the trouble to find out where I was and to send me these things. But, but I don't have need. Like, I don't have need. Like, what, what would it be like to say I don't have any needs? Like, what would it be like? Paul, Paul said it, and he's in prison. And he goes on to say, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul had learned the secret of being content. He knew the secret. He knew what it, what it took. Now, Paul was someone, Paul was someone who had at one point in his life, he had it all because he was a religious leader. He was someone who'd been trained he was looked to as an expert and in a religiously centered culture to be at the top of the religious food chain gave you unlimited possibilities in life. And he would stay at the best hotels or at the best homes when he went from town to town. Man, he ate of the best food and he had the best clothes. He was able to do whatever it is he wanted to do. He had the most freedom. And then he began to follow Jesus and he had nothing. He gave it all up. Man, he lived in poverty. Man, he, he was shipwrecked. Man, he had nothing. And he says, I'm content either way. And what Paul meant by contentment is this internal satisfaction that is independent of our circumstances. It's this internal satisfaction that is independent of circumstances. So think about internal satisfaction for a minute. This fact that I'm at peace all the time. I'm at ease all the time. Deep down in my soul, I know things are good, things are going to be fine, no matter the circumstances. Like no matter if things are good, no matter if things are bad, I'm the same, I'm steady because I have contentment. Like what would it be like to live that way? What would it be like just to have this confidence, this settled satisfaction, no matter what happened? Paul said, I have faced having plenty. And when he says I've faced it, he knows that even having plenty comes with, with its challenges, doesn't it? Like we've all heard the saying that money can't buy happiness. Have y'all heard that before? Of course, that was said by a rich person. However, um, we know that money comes with its challenges, that when you have money, the more money you get, the more problems you can have. And, and what we see in our culture is that the more money we have, the less satisfaction we have. That we live in a culture right now that is the, the, is the least happy that we've ever been, even though we have one of the top 10 economies of all time. How can that be? Right? Paul understood that having money doesn't mean I get instant satisfaction because having money means I'm going to have more to care for. And some of you know, you know the feeling, man. You, you have a house and sometimes there are days you're grateful to have it and some days you wish somebody else paid for the repairs, don't you? Money doesn't, having a lot of money doesn't always equal satisfaction. Now, now, now he, knew, he, he had money, he knew facing that, but also having nothing. Man, having nothing can bring its own set of challenges. It can, not having enough. Some of you grew up probably with not enough. Some of you grew up poor. Some of you know what it's like 
not to have the newest style or not to know where your next meal is coming from or not to have a place to stay. It has its level of challenges. And Paul says this, no matter which one I'm in, I'm satisfied. Man, I'm not swayed. The wind doesn't knock me off course. I'm steady and I have this internal confidence. You see, what can happen is we believe that these desires in us can be satisfied differently than God intended. Now, we all have appetites. We all have desires. Probably the one that we relate to the most is hungry. Like when you get hungry, what do you do? You go get something to eat. And you know the symptoms of hunger. And maybe it's your stomach starts growling or maybe something else happens. Maybe, maybe you just have this, you get a headache or maybe you just get hangry and you know you, you need to get something to eat. And so you go get something to eat and it fuels your body. So that appetite drives me to do something. It gives me this desire to do something that's good for me. And I fill up that hunger with food, which gives my body fuel to work. And it's also enjoyable. Can I get an amen? Right? Like food's enjoyable. How fun is that? And so the same way we're, we have these other desires in us that God has placed there. Man, these desires for more in life, these desires to make a difference, these desires to help other people. And when we think by buying stuff is going to fill those desires and make us satisfied, what happens is we commit financial ruin and we end up with credit card debt and we end up buying stuff that burns up and breaks and it doesn't fulfill what we expected it to fulfill. Now, this doesn't mean we should not have ambition. Man, we should have ambition. Like some of you are ambitious to build your business and you're really good at it. Man, some of you are ambitious to build your family. Some of you are ambitious, you know, to build your home. Some of you are ambitious in your career. Some of you, it may be a hobby. And ambitions are good. We should never shut those down. Ambitions are good. But what they can't become is an end unto themselves. Like I always have to look at, okay, Where is this taking me in my relationship with God? So even food, for instance, when I eat food and it's good, I'm grateful to the God who provided it. I see beyond the current circumstance to what's really going to matter. And rather than just looking at a short-term solution, you see long-term problems, long-term desires, and they can't be be satisfied with short-term solutions. I can't run to the store and buy a new blouse. I wouldn't buy a blouse anyway. I'd buy a shirt. But I can't run to the store and buy something and think it's going to last a long time. But we do that. How many of you ever felt, had, had a bad day? Like, I think I'll just go buy something. I'll just go buy an ice cream cone. I'll get two of those for one, right? Do you know there's a place over in Alpharetta that has an ice cream cone and the cone is made of a donut? Yeah, you're right. Sinful. I agree. <laughs> like, there are some things that we run and we buy. We think it's going to provide us some satisfaction, but it, it fades on us. It fades on us. And so Paul says, I know the secret, and I'll tell you. And in verse 13, Paul gives us the secret to this internal satisfaction. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a coffee cup verse, isn't it? It's on a t-shirt. Like, actually, people think Paul wrote it, but he didn't. There was a guy that won two, two Heisman trophies at a national championship at the University of Florida. His name's Tim Tebow. He actually wrote that verse. After they got beat by Mississippi State, and he vowed that he would play better. He would play harder than any player ever in the history of man and womankind, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul writes this. Now, I love a little bit of what this, how this verse is phrased when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, hey, I can, man, he's not saying, hey, man, I got the test coming up. Man, I, I don't have to study. I can just pray really hard. <laughs> He's not saying, you know, I'm just going to stick to this diet. 
right? I, I just need this promotion. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is in, let's don't forget, prison. And Paul says, I'm not going to let all that stuff, whether I have plenty or I'm in need, I'm not going to let it affect me. And the, and the language that's used here, it, the language for strength is I'm going to engage the resistance. That's what it means. I'm going to get in the fray. I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to battle this out. What is he battling? He's battling man, this desire to want more stuff to provide him satisfaction. He's battling the fact that he is in prison and he doesn't want to be seen as someone who just goes with the, however the wind blows in his life to make him happy or sad. He wants to engage the resistance that he's going to be content no matter what. He's going to hang on to this internal satisfaction that is independent of his circumstances. And so Paul engages in this battle Man, to be, to be content. Like, like, how are you doing at that? Like, what is it that throws you off kilter on a day? If you wake up and someone tells you one thing, you're like, that's it. It's going to be a bad day. Man, what is it that makes you discontent? What is it that makes you not satisfied with your life? Paul says, nothing. Because I have Christ. Christ is the only thing that can provide satisfaction. Christ is the one who died for me. Christ has given me a hope and a future. Man, Christ is the one who's designed me to do what I'm doing. Christ is the one who helps me to accomplish everything. He's the one who gives me the strength which, with which I can engage the resistance. That's, that's what's Paul's outlook on life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so there's a couple of ways and I think Paul would have looked at this, and there's a couple of things that happen. Man, man, the first thing that we need to realize and that we need to believe is that truly satisfying things, truly satisfying things, man, they can't be taken away from you. Truly satisfying things can never be taken away from you. Have you ever sat down and just thought about how everything that we buy just goes away? Everything that we buy, it just goes away. It either stops working or it goes out of style, or it gets upgraded, or it gets stolen, or it doesn't fit right, everything we buy goes away. It cracks me up when someone will advertise something, lifetime warranty. Like, really? Who's lifetime? Because I'm going to be done with that in like six months. Like, ladies, you buy a pair of boots, like, these will last forever. All I have to do is get them resold. Exactly. Man, everything. And sometimes we just need to stop and realize it all goes away. It all goes out of style. It all changes. I know, I know, I know. Things from the 80s come back, but it's still not quite the same. I know I saw you, some of you trying to bring some things back like leg warmers. Don't do that again. But it doesn't come back, right? Everything. Man, the only things that, man, the only things that can satisfy us can't be taken away. The truly satisfying things can't be taken away. Listen, we are, we, because we have appetites, man, we are sold things that will tell us we'll be happy. Man, the American marketing machine is excellent at telling us the things that will satisfy us. Like I was reading a study done by Target. And so Target is really good at uh, helping you identify what you need. They can really help you. If you need to know, just ask Target. There's a study, there's a one particular story. Target realizes that their number one most profitable customer is a pregnant wife, a pregnant mom-to-be. Number one most profitable customer because she buys a lot of candy bars. That's a joke, come on. 
Because they, there's a lot of stuff to buy when you're, when you're going to have a baby. Okay, all the new stuff, everything has changed. Everything's been upgraded. Nothing's the same as it was three months ago. Everything is different. And so there was this, and they can study your buying habits to know if you're, if you're an expecting mom. They can study your buying habits. And then they will target you for, to buy uh, stuff for babies, right? Baby care stuff. So in one particular incident, example of this, there was a high school girl that began to get advertisements for stuff for her, for her child that was about to be born. And so the dad got irate about this and he went to Target and he says, listen, my daughter's in high school. She's not pregnant. Quit sending this stuff to my house. Now there was something Target knew that he didn't. Yes. Yes. Target knew before he did. They are experts at telling us what we need. I don't blame them. It doesn't mean they've done anything wrong or bad, but let's at least acknowledge when I'm looking at something on the internet, right? I'm looking at my news feed and all of a sudden the thing I really need more than anything in the world pops up on my screen. That's not the Lord speaking to you. <laughs> let's acknowledge where it came from. They're trying to make us believe that we'll only be satisfied when we buy these things. Now, is buying them wrong? Absolutely not. If you can afford stuff, buy it. But there's a reason why our country's in $1 trillion of credit card debt because we bought some stuff that we thought we needed that we couldn't afford and we're going to end up paying more for it, more for it. Then we, and, and by the time we pay it off, it'll be gone. We have $1.2 trillion in car debt, auto loans, $1.2 trillion. And there are a lot of loans that are seven years, uh, seven years long. And, and, and as we all know, cars depreciate faster than anything. How many of you, like me, made the car, big car mistake? Anybody? I'm the only one. That's crazy. Anybody? Nobody wants to admit it. Got a couple. Okay. So I, when I got out of college, first car I bought, Mazda RX-7. You remember those cars? Now they're up to like RX-42. That tells you how old I am. Mazda RX-7, rotary engine, sunroof, black, loud stereo system. Man, in about six months in, I'm like, what in the world did I do? What did I do? And so I got rid of it and, and vowed to never do that again. Man, we've all made mistakes because we thought there was something that was going to satisfy us. Now, now, the key to this, the antidote to this, is to store up treasure in heaven. Like, this is what our lives are supposed to be about, storing up treasure in heaven. That there's some true things that are going to last in our lives. And it's the fact that God has looked on us with favor and loved us and sent his son for us. That we've been adopted into his family. Man, that we have a place at the table. That the God of the universe loves us so deeply that he wants to have a personal relationship with us. Those are things that can never be taken away from us. And our response to that is to store up treasure in heaven. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Man, we can store up treasure in heaven in a lot of ways. And primarily we do it by helping people. Man, we help people so that we can store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Some people will say, hey, what you do here, like the, the money that you have, man, you can't take it with you. That's not true. You send it on ahead. Like, you know, you hear the, you hear the analogy, there's no hearse um, behind, excuse me, there's no U-Haul behind a hearse. Like, I understand the imagery, but, but it's not communicating an accurate message because we send it on ahead. The things that we do now do matter later, and how we handle our money now does matter later. So the good that we do for others, man, is what God has called us to. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip, and you got back, and you're like, man, I think it blessed me more than them. I got more out of it than they did. 
It's because you're wired to do that. You're created to do that. And what happens is we short circuit that thinking that something temporary is going to provide for us an eternal satisfaction that's independent of our circumstances. Man, we can't be, we can't be caught in that trap the way everyone is. Man, we should know better. We can see more because we understand the gospel and how much Jesus loves us. Truly satisfying things can never be taken away from us. And then the second one, the best is yet to come, right? Man, the best is yet to come. Like no matter what we experience here, it's going to be better in the kingdom of God. Like it doesn't matter your best day here. It's not going to even compare to your days in heaven. Like can you imagine when we cross into heaven and we enter a place where there's no more tears and there's no more sorrow, there's no more sickness, there's no need for hospitals and doctors. Man, there's no cancer ward. There's no foster care. Man, there is no ER and ICU. Man, the best is yet to come. Man, mind has not conceived, God says, of what he has planned for those who love him. So beyond our expectations, the best is yet to come. Why would we, if the best is yet to come, if we believe this, is, the, is this Paul's secret to this internal satisfaction? Like, why would we settle for small things that have no ability? Like, why would we fall into that trap and suffer and make bad financial decisions because of what we think we're going to get out of it now if we know the best is yet to come? Man, man have you noticed this, the moving target is when maybe you get out of college and, and you think in your mind of a certain income level. Like, man, if I get to that, that'd be amazing. I'd have everything. Like, I, people, I don't know why people can't survive on that. And then when you get to that number, what happened? It moved. It moved. It's just, so you move to that number. And it's like John Rockefeller said when someone asked him, hey, how much is enough? And what did he say? Just a little more. This was a man worth $345 billion, four times the net worth of the richest man in the world, Bill Gates. Right? It's a moving target. It's always moving. And so there comes a point in our life where we just need to set, we need to set a deadline. We just need to set an immovable goal. This is, this is the goal. Man, this is the number. This is the income that's going to make me happy. This is where, and it doesn't mean you stop getting raises. It doesn't mean you stop earning money. It doesn't mean you stop progressing. But everything over that, man, you just store up treasure in heaven. You just give it away. You just find who you can help, and you help with that. Man, what would be your number? What would be your number? It's not $1.6 I promise you. What would be your number? And in real time, not just rhetorically today, but talk about it. Figure it out. Determine it. Because if not, you're, we're always going to be on this, on this treadmill, always chasing after that moving number that has no capacity to satisfy us. Paul said, I've learned it all. And I'm content in all my circumstances. It doesn't matter if I have a lot, if I don't have enough, man. I have got an internal satisfaction. Now, the reason why we don't have this internal satisfaction, not a financial issue. It's not a financial issue. It's a trust issue. It's a trust issue. It's whether or not we're going to trust in God or not. It's whether or not we believe that God has good for us. It's whether or not we, we completely comprehend his great love for us. Or do we think we need to help him out a little bit when it comes to our, to our stuff, to our satisfaction? You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God 
his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Like, go after God first, all this other stuff, and it'll, it'll find its place. It's going to work itself out. Man, don't be consumed with the stuff I need to go buy. Don't think and be deceived that's going to provide satisfaction. Seek first the kingdom of God. Man, put Jesus as front and center always before you is what we see in Scripture. All this other stuff, man, it'll take care of itself. Man, we'll have some stuff, man. We're going to have some fun stuff, man. We live in an area. God's given us a lot of resources. We're going to have some fun stuff, and we're going to have some fun stuff. But, man, it will not be fulfilling without Jesus at front and center. He's the one who fills in the gaps for us. Like, I don't know what you've been trusting. I don't know how, how your satisfactory meter is today. And I don't know if you feel like you're satisfied or you were satisfied yesterday and then not today. I don't know. But I do know this. And if you chase after Jesus, he fills in every gap. He makes all the pieces come together. And he will be the one that truly can satisfy you because we know he is more than enough. Let's pray together. Lord, we just say thanks for the uh, dignity you give us to choose how we handle our lives in so many areas. And God, so many times when we substitute stuff, things that's gonna, things that don't matter, things that aren't eternal for you. And God, I know that we we know that money just has that tendency to do that. It makes us it makes us nearsighted, Lord. It gives us tunnel vision, and it prevents us from really focusing on our future. And so, God, we'd be a people that just stores up treasure in heaven, man, that we just have such an internal sense of satisfaction, of confidence about life, man. Politics don't bother us. The economy doesn't bother us. Man, what's happening in, in culture doesn't bother us because we're so steadfastly committed to you that you just provide that internal satisfaction that only you can bring. And God, for those of us who, man, who've never made that step to follow you and who've never really trusted that you are good and that you will do what you said, man, that take today would be the day that they believed in Jesus, man, that they decided that they were tired of the rat race, man, they were tired of running on the treadmill, and God, that they just going to put you front and center today. And God, for those of us, man, who just, man, we, we drift. We don't start out thinking that money's going to own us or consume us, but what happens is it does without us even realizing it. Help us to engage the resistance. God, help us to stay firm and steadfast and believing that you know what's best and that Jesus is enough. And we just pray according to Jesus' name. We just lift him up today as full of glory, honor, blessing, and power. The only one worthy of our attention, the only one worthy, and the only one who can truly satisfy us. Amen.